0: morning. I was walking around. Me and Mr. Rodriguez on the wrong side of town. streets all empty and the houses
1: burned down. And welcome into the Most Accurate Podcast. My name is Anthony Stalter. Glad to be back and glad to be back with my partner, John Paulson, uh, who joins me right now. And John and I are going to be back with weekly podcasts throughout the football season. We might miss a week here or there, but you know what? We're going to be here most weeks to digest the fantasy news as the draft season really gets going, uh, John. First and foremost, how's your summer going?
0: It's going pretty good. I'm ready now to to get back into the full draft season. I think that the July fourth is the unofficial start to it. Uh, you know, I've been doing some best ball drafts, trying to get my strategy together, and then of course the Scott Fishbowl. 11 uh, kicked off on July 5th and uh, I think that's the unofficial start to the season because everybody really gets into it. Um, people have been um, looking at it and analyzing it and I've been doing the same thing in uh, earlier months this, this year and getting my uh, player notes together and rankings together but this really does feel like the start of it and a good time for us to do a, a weekly pod throughout the rest of the season.
1: And as we do each and every pod, John,
0: you want to cover the music before we go on? Yeah, I've been compiling some songs that I wanted to feature on the pod over the last few months, and uh, this track is called uh, Mr. Rodriguez. It's the opening track on Raylan Baxter's 2015 album, Imaginary Man. Uh, He's sort of an alt-country type guy, but I really like the, the vibe of this song. All
1: right, John just mentioned drafts. Speaking of which, we have partnered with Underdog Fantasy to offer a free 4 for 4 pro subscription that's a $59 value just for depositing $10 at underdog as a new user not only that but underdog will also give you a bonus of $25 in your account and our partners at ffpc will also give you a $35 credit for one of their leagues if you're a new ffpc user so returning ffpc users will get a $10 credit and and John, I, I'm not the math guy on the podcast, but <laughs> when it when it comes to value, this this certainly screams value.
0: Yeah, it, it seems this is probably the best deal we've ever offered, and it's you know we, we've got a good partner this year with Underdog Fantasy, and um, it, you, you put in ten bucks as a underdog a new Underdog user, you get twenty five from them, you get a fifty nine dollar pro subscription from us, and then you also get a, a ten or a thirty five dollar uh, Coupon at FFPC depending on if you're a, a new user there. So you know my math, the back back of the napkin math is about $119 wow. value for just a $10 deposit at Underdog. So they're really trying to grow their business, and this is the way they're doing it. And we're we're happy to help. So uh, if you ever wanted to get a, a sub at uh, 444 and check it out, this is about the the cheapest way you'll be able to do it.
1: Yeah, that's great, man. That's a huge offer. So they have two big season-long best ball contests. One is the Best Ball Mania Two, and that's a $1 million prize to the winner. And the second one is the Puppy, which is $50,000 to the winner on a $5 entry entry fee. It's important that you use the code, the number four, F-O-R, the number four. So if you think of our website, 444, four, it's the number four, F O R the number four, and that's all in caps that's the code that you want to use 444 to claim the free subscription for all details go to bit.ly slash 444 deal and that's all in caps as well number four for number four deal all in caps or hit the pinned tweet on john's twitter page at 444 underscore john we've never had an offer like this like john just mentioned and we're hoping that all of our listeners can take advantage of it Let's dive into the meat and potatoes now of the podcast, John. First one back, let's go position by position, get caught up on some of the biggest news, some murky running back situations, murky backfield situations, and positional trends around the league. We, unfortunately for John, as the resident Packer fan here, and I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll get mine later for uh, you know Julio Jones and the Falcons, but unfortunately for John, Aaron Rodgers reportedly wants out of Green Bay. But that's all of uh, as of right now. Those are the reports. We we haven't gotten a ton of information lately, but we are inching closer to training camp. When asked directly, Aaron Rodgers has given vague answers, or he's completely sidestepped the question. The latest evasiveness came at the match when asked directly if he would start against the Saints on September 12th. He said, I don't know, we'll see. So, this is what's going on with, with Aaron Rodgers right now. This is what's going on with the Packers. What's your take on this situation, and and do you expect Rodgers to be the starting quarterback for the Packers in week one?
0: Well, I've, I've drafted two teams so far that I'm going to have to manage in the fall uh, on a weekly basis, and I drafted Rodgers in both of them. So, I guess my answer would be yes. I expect him to be the starting quarterback for the Packers in week one. I expect... At the very least, he'll be starting somewhere if the Packers decide to trade him. But they, you know, Andrew Brandt used to work for the Packers and he came out with a tweet yesterday. He goes, My position really hasn't changed. Um, Rodgers can't trade himself. The Packers said that they can't, uh, they are not going to trade him. Uh, He's under contract, he's not going to retire. So he plays for the Packers in 2021 and he predicts that the Packers would trade him in 2022. Now, I don't understand why they would trade him unless he's just so disgruntled and wants to leave uh, because he's upset with the management or the fact that they drafted Jordan Love or the fact that they cut uh, Jake Kumoro or whatever it is. Um, you know, I tend to believe James Jones. I think A.J. Hawk was another that came out and said that they've spoken with him and that, you know, James Jones for sure said that uh, the situation could be fixed and, um, I don't know what exactly that means and why it hasn't been fixed at this point. Um, I think maybe Rodgers wants you know, a contract that guarantees that he's going to be the starter there for a few years after what he did. He tore up the league last year as the MVP, um, just crushed it in the second season in, in uh, Matt LaFleur's offense. Uh, maybe that's what he wants. I don't think that he necessarily wants to force himself out of Green Bay, but, but that's what the report. It was a cumulative, quote-unquote, cumulative report from Schefter and uh, he happened just happened to, decide to release that on the morning of the draft, which I thought was a little, I don't know, a little shady. I lost some respect for Schefter on that because it made it seem like this was a completely done deal, and uh, that doesn't seem to be the case. Because when asked directly, Rogers says, You know, I've you know, never said I was upset with my boss, he said that to Tom Brady, uh, and I think when he said, uh, You know, I don't know, we'll see, I think he's just being coy. And he's not giving up any uh, leverage right now with the contract situation of trying to redo the contract. And you know, Lafleur and Guttenkust uh, have said that they want him back and for a while. Uh, so I don't know what that means from their side, but uh, hopefully this gets ironed out. I mean, we we did pass the COVID opt out where he could have opted out of the season and saved a lot of money. Uh, if he decides he's going to hold out or retire, I think he's got it's going to cost him a lot of of his signing bonus that he's already been given um, and that can get really contentious. So I think what's going to happen is that the, you know, camp will will come in and he may not come to all of camp cause he doesn't want to be part of it. Or, you know, a lot of veterans don't like training camp, but I expect he'll report at some point in training camp and, and be out there week one for the Packers. So I've been drafting the Packers as if that's the case. And I understand that uh, some people might uh, some, some uh, four subscribers or other drafters might, be, uh, hesitant to draft a Devonte Adams or an Aaron Jones, uh, but I think uh, they're all pretty safe. I think he'll be out there. Uh, he'll week one. You know, I may end up with egg in my face uh, because I'm, you know, underestimating how dug in he is. But uh, you know, I just don't get the, the the situation from his you know from his perspective. He's got enough weapons to compete. They've made the NFC Championship game twice uh, in a row and are this close to the Super Bowl. So this is really his best chance to win a Super Bowl with Green Bay. And if he were traded to uh, the Broncos or something, I think you, you're looking at a deal that would you know, not necessarily decimate the, the Broncos, but certainly hurt their receiving core or their defense enough to um, make it more difficult for them to um, to make the, the Super Bowl. So I, I think Rodgers' best chance to win the Super Bowl is, is in Green Bay. He's maybe a little upset about how things have gone and is trying to make a point and uh, wants to feel wanted and that's sort of what's going on right now
1: yeah I, you know i, I know you just said you may have egg on your face a lot of people might have egg, eggs on their face because you're, you're really well, we're just projecting right now and i'll put my t- two cents in it too for me i don't think aaron Rodgers has any leverage he's got a contract with green bay if he wants to pay back some of the signing bonus and all that the packers can turn around and say look you're you're under contract with us if you're upset and you want to retire? You want to go host Jeopardy or whatever? No problem. Give me, give us back the signing bonus, and we'll move forward with Jordan Love. If not, we want you to be our quarterback in Week One. You, you there's only so much a player can do to force to force a trade. Is he willing to sit out? This isn't somebody that's 24. You know, the, he even if he sits out a year, how many years does he have left? Does he have three years left? Does he have two years left? You know, so I don't think he's going to sit out when it's all said and done. I think he's going to. I think he's going to make the Packers wear it, you know. I think the, I think he's going to make them wear it for at least until training camp, if not half of training camp. But I I do expect Aaron Rodgers to be back under center. The, the other the other point that I've made, you know, whether it's on these this podcast or or on the airwaves in uh, St. Louis on a radio show, uh, you know, for me, John, he's he's got Devontae Adams, he's got Aaron Jones. I'm not saying that. Aaron Rodgers has said this, but when I hear, talk, hear, hear people talk about oh, he's got no weapons, Packers don't have many weapons, just stop. I mean, he's got one of the best receivers in the league. He's got a talented, multi-dimensional running back in Aaron Jones. Could the Packers do more to support him? Absolutely. But I'm sure a lot of quarterbacks feel the same way around the league.
0: Yeah, and I would add that Robert Tanyan came on and Absolutely. was a top five tight end last year, and that was you know that was a lot to do with Rodgers his huge season and the touchdowns at Tanyan caught but he's he's a weapon now at at, at tight end and one of those things that was missing from this offense for a few years uh and they added Amari Rodgers in the draft and you know maybe i would have aimed a little higher and with a Rashad Bateman or Elijah Moore um but they ended up with uh Amari Rodgers and you know he did some really good things at Clemson so i think they're adding him another dimension and they you know they have the speed with Valdez scantling who had a pretty good year uh Ellen is to solid they're getting Devin Funches back who was supposed to be the free agent signing last year and he opted out so he's got enough it's not the greatest receiving core in the in the world but it's uh he's definitely a top half uh in terms of weapons with you know when you take into the account the running backs as well um i think he's set pretty well and also a pretty good offensive line Not you know yeah let's not, let's not overlook those guys. So I think, I think he's uh, got a good situation and he'll, he'll end up, uh, Playing with Green Bay this year, yeah,
1: and a defense that is good—not great, but it, it's been good. Right. And you know, nobody ever talks about the defense when it comes to the quarterbacks, ever. And uh, I think that's one of the most overlooked aspects of how a quarterback, per, per, you know, performs. Maybe not from a fantasy standpoint, but um, certainly from a real, real football standpoint. All right, we'll move forward here. How quickly do you see rookie quarterbacks taking over starting roles, Don? You got Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. You got Zach Wilson with the Jets. They appear locked in as Week One starters. But the three that are most interesting, you got Trey Lance in San Francisco, you got Justin Fields in Chicago, and Mac Jones in New England. So let's focus on those three guys. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I did a I did a study because of these guys, and I noticed that at at uh, Underdog that Lance and Fields were going ahead of for sure Week One starters like Tua Voyola Tagov- and I think Kirk Cousins and. You know Matt Ryan and some of these guys were were going over those guys, and I thought it was a little odd because the the, the word out of Chicago is that they want to replicate the Alex Smith, uh, Patrick Mahomes situation with Fields and Andy Dalton, and that sounds to me like they don't plan on pushing Fields out there. But that doesn't mean it won't happen. It just means that's what the plan is. And so if you're if you're only getting 12 13 starts out of fields then it's harder you know to justify his adp you know lance it sounds like uh from the beat writers it sounds like he's going to be given every opportunity to start week one so i'm a little more bullish on his um availability as a fantasy starter for week one um and then mac jones it's a weird situation there with with cam newton because they're two completely different quarterbacks um, Newton is a former, I believe he's a former MVP, right? He won the MVP one year, you right? Did, he obviously yeah. is really, Super you know, Bowl a year. really good. Yeah. He, he's a really good fantasy quarterback or has been, um, has a unique skill set, skill set, being able to run and a pretty decent thrower and just kind of had a weird year last year, uh, in that offense and just with had nobody to throw to really. And they added, uh, Hunter Henry and Jenu Smith and Nelson Aguilar as weapons and, um, he had that COVID and ended up with a long COVID and he's talking about brain fog and everything. So I was kind of giving him a pass and I'm interested to see how they do this quarterback competition there in new England. I I would expect that Newton would start and if they are winning and they should have a really good defense and a good offensive line uh, you know, if they keep winning, I don't know that they're going to hand the keys over to a rookie Uh, but we'll see. Uh, So I did a study. How soon do rookie quarterbacks usually play? You can find it on the site Um, I basically looked at all the, uh, rookie quarterbacks drafted inside the first 15 picks since the 2000 season. And the average number of games started in the sample was 10.6. Uh, that included a few situations that we knew that they weren't going to start right away unless there was an injury with the quarterback. And when those guys are removed, the average jumps to 12.0 games started, um, and then you, you just keep kind of refining it and you can get to where it does seem like the average situation for fields and Lance is that they're probably going to get their first start by week three or four. Uh, the, the the average first start for the remainder of the sample was week, week 3.6. Uh, so that's sort of when things happen and it's usually an injury or it's, a, you know, a couple of losses and they're like, Oh, we're moving on. So if, if the bears come out, oh and two or something they could immediately turn the keys over to fields if dalton wins his first three or four starts he might get a longer leash as they you know stay in playoff contention so um i moved them up in the projections and expected them to play 15 uh games or so uh that bumped them up a little bit getting 15 starts uh but you know I'm not comfortable really drafting either of these guys yet until Lance more than fields I'm comfortable drafting but um, I'm not really if I'm looking at them as a qb1 as a starter or even as a starter in a, in a super flex league as my Qb2 uh, it's a it's a little dicey not knowing if they're going to be out there week one
1: let's talk about some running backs now can fantasy owners trust Mike Davis and miles gask in a solid fantasy rb2s?
0: I think, as it stands, as the rosters stand for both of these teams, I think that Mike Davis will see a lot of touches in that Atlanta offense. He, he's playing for Arthur Smith, who did a great job with the Tennessee offense. Uh, I don't think I don't think that Smith is going to ride Davis like he has uh, rode, uh, I guess is the right word, ridden uh, <laughs> uh, Derek Henry over the last couple of years. But Davis is a dual threat back. His His yards per carry, you know, over his career, 3.7 is ugly, but if you look at his 2020 season, it was pretty good. He was tied for 12th in yards after contact per attempt, led the league in broken tackles per rush attempt. He was also fourth among running backs in catches with 59 and was fifth among uh, running backs in broken tackles per reception. So, you know, maybe the yards per carry is not there that you want to see from a backup going over to a starting job. You want to see something like 4.5 or 5.0 or something, Uh, but... Maybe it's a little misleading with Davis. Uh, the Falcons led the league in vacated touches per game with twenty one point six, and didn't do anything really to address the the running back position other than uh, to sign an undrafted free agent, uh, Javian Hawkins, who's one hundred eighty three pounds. So, um, I think my only concern with Davis is that they bring in uh, another running back, a veteran who gets cut. Like you know, we're going to talk about Melvin Gordon. Uh, and Javante uh, Williams a little bit later, but if Gordon were to be cut, you know, if he joins the Falcons, that would be, obviously be a headache for for somebody like Davis. So that's my one concern about drafting Davis as my RB two is that they might add a veteran in August and kind of submarine his value a little bit if they if, this, if the guy has any talent. Uh, Miles Gaskin, I would say it's a little bit of a similar situation, but um, you know, he's he's younger uh he's going near the fourth fight I believe he's younger uh Davis seems like he's been around forever uh Gaskin's going near the fourth fifth turn um he averaged 18 touches per game when act- active last season and that included four, 4.1 receptions per game and he was actually better as a receiver than he was as a runner uh, they did add Malcolm Brown uh I don't know that that's going to move Gaskin's needle too much Uh, This season, I I think Malcolm could have a role, but I think Gaskin probably will see that 15, 16 touches per game that he needs to be an an RB2. So, what I liked about Gaskin last year, what was kind of eye opening, was how quickly they went back to him after he got dinged up. And, you know, he missed four games midseason, came back for 23 touches in week 13. He he missed a couple more games and then returned to 19 touches in week 16. So, it it shows to me that, you know, that was with Salvin Ahmed doing pretty well. Uh, and Gaskin just basically came back to his starting role, so that, that kind of tells me that he's you know in there as the starter. So I feel pretty comfortable with him as well. I guess they would be a, another candidate to maybe add a, a veteran running back, but um, I think right now Davis and Gaskin are pretty pretty solid RB two types and available in the fourth fifth round
1: yeah by the way Gaskin is 24 Mike Davis is 28 so you were correct
0: and okay I was safe on that yeah
1: four (laughs) years by four years yep uh the the Denver running back situation a little fuzzy you just mentioned this Melvin Gordon he's he's still just 28 he's coming off a a, a 1,144 yard season rushing and receiving combined on that he averaged 4.6 yards per carry but he's going after Javante Williams in early drafts Ryan Oho Halloran of the Denver Post predicted that Williams would start week one and will lead the backfield in rushing attempts this season. Do you buy that?
0: Yeah, this is Melvin Gordon was coming into the draft. Before the draft, I was looking at him as a really good value. He's going in the fifth round. And then the Broncos, you know, they gave him a pretty, they gave Gordon a pretty good contract. So I just thought he'd be the RB1 after Lindsey signed elsewhere. And, uh, you know, they would write out his contract and then maybe, draft a rookie next year or something or, but they, they, they went out and, you know, traded up for Javante Williams. And I, I you know, speaking of studies that I've done, I, I did another one a couple of years back. Uh, it's entitled if a team trades up for an RB, is it more likely that he'll produce uh, we'll put the link in the show notes, uh, so that readers and listeners can see, uh, what the findings were, but specifically all rounds, if you're a trade up running back versus a no trade up running back, um, you're gonna sc- the trade-up running back scored about 31% more uh, fantasy points per game in PPR. Uh, it was really noticeable in the third round uh, running backs, but I think really anywhere it's an indicator that if you if they're trading up for a player that shows intent, that shows that they really want that player, and that tends to to lead to more production and usage as a rookie. So I think it it certainly from a if you're a Gordon Orner, it has to be worrisome that that they traded up for Williams, and you know he was a productive uh, back in college. Uh, and it's interesting that these uh, beat writers are basically predicting that he's going to take over as a starter immediately. Um, I tend to think that they're going to use all their backs. That's what Vic, Vic even Mike Boone, that's what uh, head coach Vic, Vic Fangio said. So I don't know who's going to be starting, but I think you know Gordon will be an issue. For Williams, if you're expecting Williams to start seeing 17 to 20 touches per game, I think that's going to be tough. So you probably see a committee like you did when Lindsey was healthy last year, and that sort of depresses the value for all these guys. And Unless they cut Gordon, I don't see Javante finishing as an – or he gets injured. I don't see Javante Williams finishing as like an RB one, so he's going. He's being drafted as like a high end RB three with you know probably RB two upside at this point.
1: What about Jacksonville? James Robinson's coming off an RB one type season, but the Jaguars' new regime drafted Travis Etienne, Connor Orr. Uh, sorry, they drafted Travis Etienne, and then Connor Orr of Sports Illustrated predicted that the team might center its offense around the running back game. Orr's colleague at SI, John Shipley. He believes that Robinson will lead the team in backfield snaps when ETN is more of a slash-type player. Carlos Hyde, John, is also in the mix in Jacksonville.
0: Yeah, one of the reasons that Robinson finished as a fantasy RB1 last year was just extremely high usage. He just owned that backfield and very rarely came off the field, uh, played most of his games, and you know was pretty productive when he played. He is the undrafted free agent type, and there wasn't a whole lot of draft capital, uh, none actually, uh, given to him or invested in him. And that's why, you know, people thought that they might draft a running back and they did. And I was surprised by it. Cause it seems like, you know, Robinson was found money at the running back position. Like you got this guy on a really cheap contract. Why are you using uh, high draft capital on another running back? But they did. And uh, it sounds like ETN was doing a lot of pass catching at OTAs. And that's, you know, a very, it's an annual tradition for running backs to be lining up at receiver uh, we hear it from almost every team every offseason, but uh, it does sound like they want to use him more as a receiver and Robinson more as the runner. Uh, and Robinson, if, if that's the case, his ADP has sunk so far that ETN is going ahead of him. Uh, but if he actually does lead this backfield in snaps, he could you know, outscore ETN fairly easily in half PPR standard formats while ETN maybe has the edge in PPR formats. So it's another fuzzy situation and you kind of want to see how they, how they use these guys in preseason and, and how they're rotating them in, in camp from uh, the beat reporter, beat reporter uh, reports. I think Carlos Hyde is the old is the dark horse here. He'll probably be Robinson's direct backup with Etienne's role, you know, unchanged if, if something were to happen to Robinson.
1: I see you've been drafting Michael Carter quite a bit in your early drafts. What makes you think he's going to have the, the upper hand in the Jets' backfield?
0: Well, I I noticed on draft night that he was sort of being pigeonholed as a pass-catching back, but he averaged 94 rush yards per game uh, in his final two seasons at North Carolina, and that was with Javante Williams in the same backfield. So that struck me as very good rushing production given the competition at North Carolina. I mean, his weight seems to be the primary issue. He's about 200 pounds, but I don't think that that's a big deal in this situation. Tevin Coleman is 5 or 10 pounds Heavier and who cares? I mean, five pounds, ten pounds, like, like they're going to get their best player on the field. And Tevin Coleman has had his had moments, you know, in his career. But you look at what he has done over the last two seasons in San Francisco. He has 811 combined yards in his last 22 games, playing in the most prolific rushing attack in San Francisco, and that's not very impressive. 811. Uh, combined yards in the 22 games he got beat out by Raheem Mostert and others Jeff Wilson and uh, I just uh, you know I think they signed him as a stopgap if they didn't get the running back that they wanted in the draft but Carter seems to be uh, headed that way and the beat reporters there say that he's been flashing in, in camp and it won't, if he's not the starter week one he will be soon so I think for his cost which is seventh round uh, or later, I think that's, uh, he has a real good chance to, to become a, a high-end RB3, RB2 type for the Jets speaking of san francisco you just mentioned the
1: 49ers what do you think is going to happen in the san francisco backfield they they traded into the third round for trace sermon and jeff wilson is is out several months with a meniscus injury so at worst sermon looks like he's going to be the rb2 in san francisco he's going slightly ahead of raheem Mostert in underdog best ball drafts how do you think that this is going to shake out for the 49ers
0: yeah the uh this is another trade-up situation and i think. Sermon fits the mold even more because he's a third round trade up and that they tend to produce at an even higher rate than the other rounds. Uh, so 54% higher than no trade up uh, third round running backs. So this definitely shows intent as well. I think maybe the different thing here, <coughs> excuse me, is that Mostert has been really productive when healthy for the 49ers in his last 16 games. Uh, including the playoffs, he has 221 carries for 1,236 yards, 5.59 uh, yards per carry, 13 touchdowns, and has added 25 catches for 233 yards and two touchdowns at receiver, uh, 15.6 points per game, and half PPR, and that's what Jonathan Taylor scored as last year's number nine running back. Um, and you can say that Mostert is a system back or that he just doesn't have the draft capital or whatever, but he registered the two fastest ball carrier speeds uh, according to nfl next gen stats last season so he's extremely fast for the position uh really fast in general uh, and i don't know if kyle shanahan is just looking at this like he wants to get sermon in as the starter but i don't think that's the case i think they've got you know most are under contract and given this production i think he remains a starter as long as he's healthy and i think that's the big question with him is, is how long will he stay healthy because especially in Best ball, I think this is a nice pick to take Mostert. And you can even take Sermon as well, back-to-back picks. And just you don't have to worry about who you're starting each week because one of them is probably going to go off. And, you know, Mostert is going to give you eight or ten really good games this year, and you just don't know when they're going to be necessarily. Uh, but, you know, Sermon ahead of Mostert seems a little ambitious to me. But, you know, I sometimes uh, maybe give the nod to the vet too often in in these situations and certainly history has shown that when they do trade up for a running back a team tends to to try to feed them and the the injury to jeff wilson has certainly cleared the way for sermon to have a role week one at least antonio
1: brown is back with the bucks how does this impact chris godwin and mike evans um when you look at things you saw you know last year antonio brown when when he arrived there certainly was an impact on godwin and, and mike evans what are you expecting for this year
0: yeah, I, I tweeted a uh, three-tweet uh, thread yesterday about this because I wanted to look at how each of the players, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, did with Antonio Brown and without Antonio Brown. And basically, Godwin played in the 11... I looked at not just the regular season, but also the the playoffs. And when Brown was active for 11 games, uh, Godwin's average about 8, 11.8 points per game and half PPR. And that equates to what Marvin Jones did last year as fantasy's... Wide receiver, 17. Uh, without Brown, five games, he averaged 13.2 points per game. Uh, all of his target and receiving yards and uh, shares had gone up with, with Brown out. Uh, that equated to more of a Allen Robinson season as a wide receiver, 11, last year. Uh, Mike Evans was interesting because with antonio brown he was actually better more productive he got a kind of slow start with tom brady last year so that was part of it but with antonio brown 11 games 13.1 points per game that again equates to Allen robinson as wide receiver 11 without brown he was 11.9 points per game half ppr and that was uh, sort of what uh amari cooper scored as the wide receiver 16. as for antonio brown himself 11 games he averaged 10.8 points per game, half PPR, and that's about what Curtis Samuel scored last year as wide receiver 25. So he should be should be able to produce wide receiver three, maybe low end wide receiver two type production. I think the worry with Antonio Brown is that his off the field stuff might crop up again, so he's a little bit of a risky pick. Um, Godwin and Evans should both be productive. Uh, you do worry about the ceilings for both players. Uh, when Brown is there. I mean, there's just so many mouths to feed, and O.J. Howard is back as well. Robert Ronkowski. they also have a better pass catching back with Giovanni Bernard coming out of the backfield, so there's a lot of mouths to feed in this offense, and uh, I think Godwin is fine where he's going. Um, I have not been drafted. I loved Chris Godwin. I love Chris Godwin as a player, but this year with, with Brown in tow, I, I'm just a little bit worried about his upside.
1: What's the biggest middle-round value at the wide re- wide receiver position? What I'm talking about, what I'm referring to, is like the fourth through seventh round. What, who are you looking at there wide receiver-wise?
0: Yeah, I, I ran a few numbers with uh, underdog versus my rank, half PPR rankings, and, and it matches up with who I've been targeting and ending up with in those middle rounds, but I think Robert Woods is a, a great value as, uh, you know, a fourth or early fifth round pick. He was number 13 wide uh, receiver last year. I think he's going closer to 20 off the board, and I think there's, a, there's an upgrade there at quarterback with with Matthew Stafford over Jared Goff, so I like Woods a lot. Uh, Deontay Johnson uh, struggled with drop, uh, drops last year. I think he cleans that up and uh, really – Takes his game to another level. He he finished uh, first in uh, in Matt Harmon's reception perception uh, uh, rankings. I, I, I take his numbers that he's after he charts each player, and I uh, come up with uh, one number of rankings for these for for his sample. And uh, Deontay Johnson came in with the best route running of last season. So I think it's just a matter of time before he puts in a, a wide receiver one type season, especially in PPR formats. He was. He had uh, In the 12 games, that he played at least 30 snaps because he had a couple of injury games. He averaged 6.9 receptions for 74 yards and .58 touchdowns or 14.2 points per game. Those are top 10 numbers. He saw double-digit targets in 10 of those 12 games. So I'm just going to ignore the the drops and, and draft Deontay Johnson in the fifth round wherever I can. And the other guy that you mentioned, the fourth to seventh round range, I think you're starting to look at Tyler Boyd, seventh, eighth round, uh, kind of flying under the radar with Jamar Chase. Uh, joining the Bengals, uh, T. Higgins there as well, but Boyd has been very productive, consistently productive over the last couple of seasons, and I think the Bengals are going to throw enough uh, to support three receivers. Not really a great tight end there to steal catches. You know, Joe Mixon is a pass-catching running back, but um, I think Boyd uh, should should produce and, and outperform his ADP there in the seventh, eighth round.
1: Similar question. Who are you targeting in the eighth to tenth round range?
0: Yeah, as soon as he hits the eighth round, I'm looking at Curtis Samuel. Uh, I want to get him on my roster <laughs> as quickly as possible. He's another really good route runner. Uh, Washington gave him the third biggest contract for a receiver in free agency, and he's, you know, familiar with OC Scott Turner and HC head coach uh, Ron Rivera uh, from Carolina. Uh, and normally shy away from teams that switch or for receivers that switch teams and free agency. But I think this is going to be a role usage upgrade in terms of targets and also quarterback upgrade, uh, from Teddy Bridgewater to Ryan Fitzpatrick, who will throw a good deep ball to Curtis Samuel when he does go deep and he's got that speed to do that, but he can do a lot of different things. He also could take some of the, uh, uh, JD McKissick work away because he is pretty good out of the backfield. He will carry the ball and he can obviously catch the ball out of the backfield. So, uh, I like Curtis Samuel quite a bit. Antonio Brown, I mentioned earlier, just due to the production that he saw, Tom Brady loves him. Uh, he's going, you know, wide receiver 44 or something like that, and he should be going a little bit earlier. And I'm also like interested to see the reports out of Miami. Um, I think this offense could take off. They added uh, Jalen Waddle and Will Fuller, and, uh, you know, Waddle had played with Tua before, uh, so that is intriguing. And he also did pretty well in Matt Harmon's. Uh, reception perception route running uh, analysis Waddle did so better than advertised as a route runner and then will fuller has been you know really productive especially last season when he was active i'm a little worried you know he was top i mean he was top 10 uh, in production last year on a per game basis a little worried about the peds uh you know coming off that and you know different quarterback situation free agency situation uh i probably would lean waddle uh, but Fuller is an intriguing option as well. He just has not not been able to stay healthy for a full season in quite some time. And um, so that's that's sort of the, the, the downside for him. But those, both those players are intriguing in Miami.
1: All right. Is there a rookie in the 11th round or later that you have your sights set on? And I know that a lot of people, they hear the names, they hear the rookies. The young guys are more exciting because, you know, they're, they're the bit of the unknown. So rookie 11th round or later that you got your sights set on?
0: Yeah, I think Elijah Moore and Rashad Bateman are, are intriguing players, and they're going in the 10th round. Um, maybe they'll, they'll slip into the 11th round. Moore has been looking great at Jets camp, apparently. The downside with him is that uh, Jameson Crowder re-signed or will be back, and that could cap his upside a bit. Uh, Rashad Bateman's issue is that the Ravens are a very run-heavy offense, and you know Sammy Watkins is there, and, and Marquise Brown is still there, and Mark Andrews is probably the most trustworthy receiver in that whole group but Rashad Bateman a great player and I think he's going to, to have a great career it's just a matter of time and how quickly he can get into that six to eight target per game uh, range I, getting into the 11th round I just took him in Scott Fishbowl Ron, Rondell Moore uh, for the Cardinals you look at their depth chart there uh, DeAndre Hopkins is obviously the wide receiver one but you really can't say with, with Larry Fitzgerald gone that Christian Kirk is ready to be the number two option. You know, they have Andy Isabella and some other players. But Ronda Mork might come in right away and be the number two target in that offense. They don't throw to the tight end too much. So you could see him with a pretty big role initially. And I think his ADP is kind of late for given his quality uh, role and then also his production. He came in very high, I think second overall in uh, Kevin Zlatluckel's wide receiver model, a three-year success model. Uh, and so that, that coupled with you know being handcuffed to a really good quarterback, with Kyler Murray, and a, a fairly pass-heavy offense or an aggressive offense, I think Rondell Moore is is a very nice pick in the 11th round or later. All
1: right, I, I'm really interested in your thoughts here. So Kyle Pitts is another big fantasy story this offseason. Falcons took him number four overall. They decided to go with a dynamic weapon. And, and obviously, we know now that Julio Jones had requested the trade before the draft. So they had a good idea that they would probably trade Julio Jones. Not only that, they couldn't even sign their draft picks until they got more money off the books. So uh, Kyle Pitts, they take number four overall. They, they bypass the opportunity to take Matt Ryan's few, um, replacement, right? Then they trade Julio Jones to Tennessee. I know you generally have a rule against drafting rookie tight ends, but would Pitts potentially be the exception this year?
0: I think he is, and I'm starting to... I don't want to load up on him, uh, whereas I'm taking him over Mark Andrews or TJ Hawkinson every time, and I have 1,000 shares of Kyle Pitts, but I do think it's worth spreading out my picks amongst those three and even Dallas Goddard in, that, in those middle rounds. Um Pitts is a unique player due to his athletic ability and the situation. You know, maybe we should treat him more as a receiver, a rookie receiver, as opposed to a rookie tight end. It's a very hard position to learn, and a lot of times these, a lot of times these first round, second round tight ends come in and don't live up to expectations and struggle as rookies. Uh, but it seems like early reports out of the uh, OTAs and minicamp is that they were feeding him target after target after target. And they are going to lean on him along with Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage in the passing game. And if he's not asked to do a ton of blocking or having to learn that aspect of the tight end, he just has to learn how to run routes and and fit within the office as a receiver, then he should uh, have a better rookie season than some of his uh, people, you know, first round picks that have come before him. So I, I have him, Uh, with Andrews I think it's slightly ahead of Andrews and Hawkinson in half PPR and when I'm faced with those three I'll probably mix it up so that I'm not uh, getting too many shares of a rookie Uh, but I think he certainly should put up tight end one numbers if he can stay healthy this year.
1: Are you going to draft a tight end early or do you think you're going to target a tight end middle or late round uh, this year when it comes to that position?
0: Well, longtime followers know that I've been an advocate for early tight end for quite some time. Uh, it was it's been really nice getting Travis Kelsey second, third round. He's going in the first round now. Uh, we were drafting him first round in tight end premium uh, drafts. Uh, he was no, kind of a no brainer pick there in the middle of the first last year. He has five straight seasons as the tight end one, uh, and he is getting a little bit older now, thirty two, I think, and um, You know, at some point that's going to stop, but I think he's set for another year. He's showing no decline. Uh, So I think, you know, late first round, early second round is fine for him. Uh, He's been going a little bit earlier in some drafts, even PPR, half PPR drafts. He does give you a weekly advantage over just about every other uh, team in your division if you're just playing a 12-team division, uh, other than maybe, you know, Darren Waller might be able to outscore him. Uh, in, a, in a given week, George Kittle might as well. Uh, so those guys, Waller and Kittle, I think second, third round, great for them. And then you get into the middle rounds, and I would start to look at, uh, uh, you know, the next tier, which is Pitts, Andrews, Hawkinson, and Dallas Goddard uh, in the fifth round at, at the earliest. And you know, maybe if you can get Goddard in the seventh or eighth round, I think that's a really nice value. It looks like Zach Ertz will be traded away, and Goddard should, you know, enter the top five discussion once that happens. Uh, as you know, a primary or secondary target uh, for the Eagles, and then after that, you're kind of got another tier of you know Tyler Higby, who I like with uh, Gerald Everett gone, uh, quarterback upgrade. Uh, Higby had four straight 100-yard games a couple seasons ago, which is a really tough feat for a for a tight end to to accomplish, but just hasn't been a consistent role like Cooper Cup and Robert Woods has in that passing game. But this might be the year where he. Can turn in consistent, more of a consistent role. Mike Isicki, uh, his targets are getting pinched a little bit uh, with Waddle and Fuller in there, but he was targeted fairly heavily by Tua uh, in Tua's starts last year, so that's a good sign. They were they were lining him up in the slot quite a bit, uh, which shows that they treat him as more of a receiver than a traditional tight end. Logan Thomas, I think we'll also have his, t- uh, his targets pitched a little bit. We have a quarterback change there, Curtis Samuel in. Uh, so I don't think another top five or top six season is in store for him, but he should be a a tight end one. I think Robert Tanyan is, would be going another four spots higher, probably if, if Rogers was for sure going to be the quarterback for the Packers, but I think he's being downgraded, uh, for that reason. That's understandable. I I took him and Scott Fishbowl as well as a stack with, with Rogers since they're pretty correlated. And I was getting a discount on both players, uh, if they do play together, uh, that could really pay off. And I think Noah Fant of this group maybe has the most physical ability. Uh, he's super fast. Uh, he's just his quarterback situation is not great. Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater, but um, he could certainly turn in a tight end one season. He's This group's going in the eighth, eleventh round. I think that's a pretty good uh, spot for them if you want to pick one or two of these guys and see if one really breaks out. And then there's another group of breakout candidates, Irv Smith in Minnesota with uh, Kyle Rudolph gone, Adam Troutman with Jared, Jared Cook gone, and uh, New Orleans, I like him quite a bit as a tight end two breakout type. Uh, those are probably my two favorite. I like Blake Jarwin as well uh, coming off the knee injury, but you know, you worried a little bit about Dalton Schultz, and will Jarwin come back as a starter like he was uh, supposed to be last year? Gerald Everett in uh, Seattle, uh, getting a chance now. Uh, he has to f- fight off uh, Will Disley. If he plays 70 80% of the snaps for the Seahawks, he might turn in a tight end one season. And then the last two Anthony Furkser for, for Tennessee. He was looking really good until that Julio trade, uh, but he still should factor in and be a good streamer, tight end, high end tight end, two type. If, uh, if, if the Titans continue to have a really efficient offense, uh, he might score seven to eight touchdowns and then cole Komet for uh chicago he really came on late last year my one concern with him is that uh, jimmy graham is still there and jimmy graham has a tendency to soak up uh all the uh red zone targets so i worry a little bit about Kmet uh scoring touchdowns john great
1: stuff as always a lot of great information looking forward to doing these podcasts on a weekly basis now or a routinely ba- uh, consistent basis Now that uh, we're we're diving deeper into the summer, that wraps up this podcast though for this week. Don't forget to take advantage of that promo, with that underdog promo that we talked about earlier in the podcast. You can lock in your pro subscription at four for four, and you can always upgrade to the DFS or betting subscription a little bit later on. Once again, that that link if you want it, bit.ly slash four for four deal and that four for four deal is all in caps and you can find all the details there we'll put the link in our show notes for the podcast as well for those that want to give john a, a follow on twitter i'm sure most of you are already doing so but you can do that at four for four underscore john you can follow me at anthony stalter for john paulson i'm anthony stalter we'll talk to you next time on the most accurate podcast
0: and the jester they met in the park a slow song in the distance and a dance through the dark one hand to the outside she waves in the wind they circle for hours or what seems to be she loved them in the moonlight soon the morning comes then back to the coal mine when the day is done